We are studying through the book of Luke. It's just interesting to me how God is so merciful to us. Our new theme for September is sharing Christ with eternity in view. Our story today is not a parable. Uh, there are many parables in the Bible. Uh, maybe is, uh, there, there are a lot of parables. Jesus used um, parables, a, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. But he has shared a parable in chapter, chapter 16 of Luke about the parable of the unjust steward. We talked about that. When he finished that parable, he put his finger on a nerve with the, 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 the religious Pharisees of the day, and he told them, hey, listen, uh, this is bothering you. And as a matter of fact, when he finished that parable, they got mad with him. They derided him. They tried to embarrass him publicly uh, with what he had said. And he, he just went ahead and continued down that road and told him, it's because of your covetousness, because of your greed. You don't want me to talk about finances in your life, but it's real. And then he went in and taught a principle about marriage because they were really used to just like finding another lady they liked and they would just divorce their wife and go with the other lady. And it was kind of common in that time. And he put his finger on that. He said, no, God has a perfect will. One man, one woman for life. <laughs> That's his plan. He does have a permissive will, and I think we can see that in Deuteronomy chapter 24. We see it also in Matthew chapter 19. But he pointed out a, a very serious problem they had, and they got even more angry. Then he breaks out into this particular, not a parable, but a story. This, this story has a name. His name is Lazarus. He tells about two men, a rich man and a poor man. Now, the rich man ends up in hell. The poor man ends up in heaven, not because he's poor, but because he put his faith in God. He put his faith in Christ. And he begins to tell the story today. We're going to look at it real quickly. I'll make several observations. Now, you're going to find in this story the words hell, lake of fire, is in the Scriptures. Nineteen times in the New Testament, hellfire is mentioned. People sometimes say, I don't want to hear a hellfire in preaching. Look, you can't read the Bible and ignore this concept. Twelve times in the Bible, Jesus is the one who said hellfire. It's all through the Bible, even before God closes the Scriptures. And a hundred years from this very moment, all that's going to matter for everyone in this room is where you live. You either live in heaven with God or in hell without him. There's only two destinations for the eternal soul. And God is so good. People oftentimes say, oh, how could a loving God send someone to hell? It's a loving God who did everything he could do to keep us from going there. He loved you so much that he did everything on his end so that you and I wouldn't have to go to hell. Anyone who goes to hell, they, no one falls into hell. They climb into hell. They climb over the local church. They climb over friends. They're trying to talk to them about Christ. They climb over gospel tracts that have been handed to them and radio broadcasts and television broadcasts and the love of Christ throughout their life trying to keep them from going there. Don't climb into hell. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the reason for this particular story in the Bible. We've read it publicly with Brother Juan this morning, but let's look at it real quickly, verse by verse, beginning in verse number 19. The Bible says here, this is Jesus. He picks up the story. And he says, there's a certain rich man. He was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. So he was dressed nice and he had the best food you can enjoy. 
And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus. That meant, again, you know it's not a parable because parables do not have a name. He has a name, and this is a real story. Jesus is giving them insight into the life to come, which was laid at his gates, probably laid there because he couldn't walk. So every day someone would bring him and put him there at the gate of this large, uh, this wealthy man's property, and they would lay him there. He was probably crippled, and the Bible says that he was full of sores. He had ulcerated sores on his body. Look at the next verse the Bible says, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Didn't say he got fed from that. He wanted just the scraps, just the leftovers from the wealthy man's uh, table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. He didn't have medical professionals. He said he had dogs that would come and give him some relief to his pain. Verse 22, and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. One thing is certain, one out of one people die. Everyone who is born will one day die. The Bible tells us in Hebrews in chapter number 9, he said, it's appointed to every man once to die. And after that, there's an evaluation or a judgment. And so the rich man, the poor, the man, the woman, doesn't matter the pigment of your skin or the, the social background that you came from or the economic uh, uh, status you've uh, uh, acquired, everybody dies. Everybody's going to die, and, and you'll be there when it happens. You, you, there's an appointment for you. You can miss your B&B appointment, your dentist appointment. You can call and cancel your doctor's appointment this week, but you'll be there when it happens, when you die. Your appointment will be there. And he said, now the rich man died, and the poor man died. And God tells us what happens going forward. Look, if you would please, at the next one, verse number 23. And in hell, he lifted up his eyes, the rich man, being in torments, it wasn't a pleasant situation. He was tormented, plural, not just with the fire, but other things we may be looking to in just a few moments. And he seeth Abraham where? A long ways away, and Lazarus in his bosom, he sees that he is separated from Abraham, he's a Jewish man, and from Lazarus, someone he's very familiar with, a long ways away. Verse number 24 and he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy upon me and send Lazarus that he may dip his finger, tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. And Abraham said, son, remember one of the horrible things about hell is that you'll have a memory. You'll remember a message. If you and I, uh, if we, we, we decide to reject Jesus Christ and go into the abyss without God, You'll have a memory of this message. You'll remember everyone who tried to talk to you about Jesus. You'll remember. You'll remember all the things. He said, remember. One of the challenging things about going to hell, and it's very clear, not only in this passage, but there is a memory there. Remember all the things that, you had to over, you, that, that God did to try to show you his love and try to bring you into his fold of eternal life. Let's continue if we can. He said, remember that thou in thy lifetime receiveth thy good things and now likewise Lazarus, evil things, but now is he comforted and thou tormented. Besides all this, between us there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from thence to you cannot, 
That means there's a separation. You can't get to where they are, and they can't get to where you are. Verse 27, and he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. All of a sudden now, he cannot get help for himself, but he says, "Um, how about this? Could you send Lazarus? My whole family knows him. I got five brethren that share in our little little community there. They've seen him. Every, he lays down there, and we see the dogs, and we see the guy, and we throw him a, some chump change every now and then. They all know him. Bring him back from the dead so we can go tell my brothers. Even people in the hell don't want you to be there. This guy got a real burden for souls after he was in hell himself. He said, he said could you send Lazarus? If you can't get him to just dip a finger in, uh, in water, I... I've uh, been given water here. I, I can't even imagine such torment that just someone doing that would bring any kind of relief. But that's what he asked. Is, could, could you just have him, just for a second, give me a little relief? Do that on my tongue. I'm miserable. I'm tormented in this flame. And he said, you can't do it. There's, there's a gulf fix. Or you can't get there and you can't get here. He can't come to you and you can't come to him. That's one of the horrible things. That's why God calls hell the second death. Because it's a separation. How many of you have been separated from someone that you love because they died? Would you raise your hand? I would think probably all of us. I remember when our 17-year-old son passed away. I remember when my dad passed away. I remember when sweet members of our church who used to sit here in this auditorium, they went into eternity. Boy, it's, it's painful. It's painful, all of that, because it's separation. You can't, you can't bring them back. You can't talk to them again. And hell, the lake of fire, is eternal separation from hope, from God. And the Lord Jesus loves us enough to tell us this story. He said, well, could you send Lazarus back from the, from the dead? And tell my brothers, look, if you would please, what he says with great passion. Verse 428, for I have five brethren that uh, he may testify unto them and lest they also come into this place of torment. And Abraham saith unto him, they have Moses and the prophets. They have their Bible, the Old Testament. Let them hear him. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one uh, would come unto them from the dead, they will repent. They'll change their mind. They won't come here. And he said unto them, If thou, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. He said, You know, the truth of the matter is, people sometimes they'll say, Well, if, I had, if God did this for me, I would believe in him. You know what you have, friend, to know that there's a real heaven, a real hell, a real God, a real Savior? You have a Bible. And, and, and in this conversation, he said, yeah, but if you could get Lazarus to go back, my brothers all know him. If he came back from the dead, then they would believe. He said, no, they have a Bible, and they need to listen. And that's what I'm using today. Every time you come to First Baptist Church, we're going to use the Bible. Because faith cometh by hearing, hearing by. I want to talk to you just for a second, just for a few moments, about hell is real. Hell is real. It's, it's a cuss word today. They'll say, what? Maybe some of you have cursed this week and said that. I think it's a satanic, subliminal way in which to make it just like, ah, it's not important. I mean, we just cuss it. But it's a real thing. Hell is a real place. 
It's prepared for the devil and his angels. It wasn't prepared for you. And if you and I go there, it's because we have uh, chose to reject Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said you've got to be born twice. You have to be saved. Why? Because there are two deaths. A physical death that separates us from, the, from our loved ones, and the eternal death that separates us from God in the lake of fire. And that's why Jesus said you must have two birthdays. A physical birth where you got into your own family and a an eternal, uh, in a spiritual birth when you get into God's family. Because here's Bible math. If you're born once, you're going to die twice. If you're born twice, physically and eternally, or separate, spiritually, separate, put into God's family, then you're only going to die once. And Jesus loves us enough to put this in the Scripture for us. And you say, Pastor, I don't believe that junk. And you, you're entitled to your own, your own opinion. But I'm just telling you, friend, there is something inside of every human being that knows that there is an eternal destiny for the soul. And for someone to get saved, three things have to happen. Number one, someone has to hear what the Bible says. Number two, the Holy Spirit has to bring conviction to your heart. And, and you'll never be untouched by the Holy Spirit of God. He'll bring, and he'll convict you of three things. Of number one, of our sin. That's why people go to hell, because their sin is not paid for. They've chose to pay for it themselves. The second thing the Holy Spirit will do was, was to remind you of the righteousness you need in Jesus and only Jesus can give you righteousness. The third thing the Spirit of God does, he challenges you and convicts you on the judgment that awaits if we reject Jesus. When we think about hell, there's several things I'll just share with you briefly. William Booth, who started the Salvation Army over in England, he said, there will be a day when preachers will preach a heaven without a hell. I, it's not a popular message. I couldn't say, oh, I can't wait to preach on hell today. Matter of fact, I would just rather just skip over this part. But I would not be an honest man to go through the book of Luke and say, we're just not going to spend time in Luke chapter 16. Because there is a heaven, there is a hell. William Church, Winston Churchill said about his nation, he said, the moral landslide of Great Britain is due to the fact that heaven and hell are no longer proclaimed in the pulpits of our land. It's interesting, isn't it? Voltaire was a very profane atheist in France. The lady who watched him die said this. He goes, for all the wealth of all the kingdoms, I will never watch another infidel die as he screamed his way into eternity. Thomas Scott, who was a profound atheist, said death, on his, on his deathbed, he said this, until this moment, I thought there was neither God nor hell. Now I know and feel that there are both, and I am damned to the judgment of a just almighty God. With that in mind, I would just say a couple things from this story that we can understand about the hell. Number one, hell, is, it's a real distance. From afar off, it's a distant place. I don't know where it is. Some people believe it's in the center of the earth. I don't know that I have biblical uh, permission to say that emphatically. But wherever it is, it's a long ways away from where God is. It's a real distance. Number two, hell has real fire. There are some people who believe that hell is not with fire. It's just the fire of conscience and things of that nature. But I don't think a, 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 a drip of water would help you with your conscience. 
I think uh, when God says fire, he means fire. He calls it everlasting fire in Revelation chapter 20, verse number 10. He says, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. It's a place of real fire. And you can, you can talk to yourself, and I can talk to myself how much it really isn't fire. And I've heard many, several theologians say, you know what, it's not really that. It's a fire of conscience. It's a fire of memory. I just believe what the Bible says. I don't like to think about it. I'm glad I'm not going there. I deserve to go there. But I'm glad I, I have an option. I want you to notice, second, thirdly, it's a place of real memories. It's a place I've already touched on this already, but memory of opportunities lost, messages that you've heard, friends and family who've tried to encourage you to consider Jesus Christ. Uh, it's a place of memory. It's a, it's a place of real separation. There's a great gulf fixed. And I've already talked about that. Death is separation. Death is not annihilation, it's separation. When you die physically, you're separated. Miss Ruby, a precious lady that probably will be separated from the body that she lived in for 89 years this week. And she'll be absent from that body and present with the uh, Lord. But separated from her daughter, Pam, and her son, Ed, and from you and I who have known her. But that's a temporary separation. The eternal separation would be to die and then be put into the lake of fire forever and ever. It's a place of separation from God, from the presence of God. I was praying with a man the other day, and I think I shared this with you. And, and uh, I told him, I said, we don't want to be separated from God. God doesn't want you to be separated from him. And I, and I challenged him to believe and receive Jesus Christ. I want to challenge you, if you're here today, to do that. But I want you to notice also it's a place of hopelessness. You know, in this world we live in, there are some challenging things. But there's a lot of hope. There's a lot of hope for our state, for our area, for people. I have, I've been around long enough to watch people who have been on drugs and alcohol to get hope and help. Well, that's not their future. That's their past, but that's not their future. I've seen marriages that are... They've just been blown apart, God put back together. I was talking to my friend recently, and I remember when the day he, uh, he, he came to know the Lord as his Savior. He had went to the doctor 17 out of 31 days at the emergency room in Southern California because his liver was totally messed up from his abuse. And he was in such pain. And the doctor finally said, look, don't come back here. Go home, plan a funeral, and take any kind of medicine you can find out there if it'll make you feel better. Because there's nothing we can do for you. Go plan a funeral less. My friend went home and it just shook him to his core. Les um, started looking around for some answers. And someone had left him and given him a gospel track. And he sat in his room, read the gospel track, and accepted Jesus as his Savior. He went to a couple of churches, didn't find really uh, the love or the acceptance that he wanted. And I, I remember him uh, where he lived on 7th and Cedar there in our city of Long Beach. He lived in a sober living home at the time. He, you walked in the sober living home, he had the room on the left. And he was, going to, uh, he was going to shop one day and he said, Lord, I know you saved me. I don't know where to go to church, but would you send me to a friendly church? And while he was at the grocery store, someone put a Friend Day flyer on his door. He said, Friend Day, friendly, I'll try it. 
he came, he sat in the middle aisle right there. I remember seeing him that day. And that day, at the end of the invitation, he came down and he made sure of his salvation. He followed the Lord in baptism. He began going through discipleship. That guy brought 187 people to church in the next 365 days of his life. Every time he'd come to church, he goes, you know what? I had such a good time when I came the first time. I want someone else to have that experience too. He would go bring people and bring them in his little Ford Maverick. Bring them in there. I remember seeing him grow, and boy, he was, he was growing. He was kind of bumping heads with different people. He would go to our homeless guy and say, you know what, the guy that had the homeless ministry, you don't know what you're doing. I was homeless. I know how to help you with this, you know. And he went to the RU meeting, and he said, you don't know what you're doing. I was an addict. I know how to help you with this right here. And he was bumping heads with everybody. But I began to spend time with him. One day I said, hey, Les, are you single or are you married? He goes, well, he goes, I think I'm married. I don't know for sure. He said, uh, I've been high so much in my life, I don't remember signing any divorce papers. He said, I said, well, where's your wife living? He said, he lives over in San Pedro. That's the next town over. He said, um, he said have you, when's the last time you saw her? He said, I saw her one time in 14 years. It was 10 years ago. I said, you know her number? He goes, oh, yeah, I know her number, but she won't want to see me. I don't think she'll talk to me. I said, why don't you tell her that you're, you're came to know the Lord? Well, he began to, he said, well, you want me to try? I said, yeah, try so he went on back then called MySpace. I don't know if you know what MySpace is or not. He found her on MySpace. He typed her letter and said, the Lord's changing my life. Would you want to talk about it? I remember Dolores coming to church. He said, she talked to me, Pastor. I'm surprised. So we met for coffee, and I began telling her, and she kept saying, you look the same, but you're acting totally different. He said, I want to know, really, are you my husband? Because <laughs> we never got divorced. She had people paying to divorce me, and it never got through. So, but um, she started coming. She came for three services. At the end of the service, on the third time, I got the joy to share the gospel with her. And she said, Pastor, nothing that easy could have changed my husband that much. He said, it's just way too easy. That afternoon, Linda, her dad, was in a wheelchair, and they were eating at the, the Blue, Dot, uh, Blue Dot restaurant. And they were eating there, and he said to her, he said, Dolores, do you, do you know if sure you're going to heaven? She goes, no, I know I'm not going to heaven. So you know how to get to heaven? He said, well, three times people have showed me. Pastor just got done sharing a few minutes ago. He said, why don't you get saved? She goes, I just, I guess I don't believe it like Les believes it. I don't, I don't have the faith that he has. And her dad began to tell him, you just need to trust it. You need to obey it and do what God wants you to do. That day, Dolores got saved. 25 years to the very day they got married, and that April I had the joy to do their ceremony again. And today, I just talked to him last night. He lives in Southern California. He's pastored a church, loves the Lord. And God can do the miraculous thing. But you know, in, in hell, there is no hope. But you know, there's hell is a lot of things. And I've shared it with you, and I'm going to conclude right now. But it was, it's a real distant, it's real fire, it's real memories, it's real separation, it's real hopeless. There's real concern in hell. And, uh, you know, it's so sad that some people in hell are more concerned about people getting saved than you and I are. This guy, when he found out he couldn't get out, he didn't want anybody else there. I wonder how concerned I am that no one else goes there. It's one of the reasons we have the many things we do here at First Baptist Church. It's their theme of the month is to get people the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the wonderful thing about hell, the good thing, 
There's a real exit plan. You don't have to go there. It's really avoidable. When you die, you're either going to leave this world with your sin, and you'll get a fair trial and the lake of fire from there, hell. Or you can come with Jesus and get a free pardon. Dear friend, hell is no joke. It's not a cuss word. It's a place. And it's a place that can be avoided. But it's a place where our loved ones, our neighbors, our friends, our co-workers, oftentimes are going to spend eternity separated from God that didn't have to be if you and I would be faithful to tell them about Christ. And if you're here today and you're not sure if you were to die, you'd go to heaven. I want to encourage you to believe and receive Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Can we please?